I want to go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, starting a new series this morning. It's Christmas. Yeah. And nobody can say anything to me about it. Because it's, it's December. I mean, it's December 3rd. It's Christmas. I mean, for me, it's been Christmas since November 1st. But it's, it's for real Christmas now. Uh, so the name of the series is Unto Us. And today I want to preach a message that I'm calling Hope is Here. And today, if hope feels far away, if hope seems to be vacant in your life, I want to, I want to, to encourage you, and I hope this word will encourage you, that hope is closer than you think. Because hope is here. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Amen. If you will, let's stand and read the word together. I'm going to warn you, though, I got a lot to start off with this morning. Um, And it may seem ironic that when we're talking about the birth of Christ, we're starting at the end of the gospel of Luke and not the beginning. But maybe by the end of the message, it'll make sense. And if not, you know, come back next week. Maybe I'll do a better job. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse number 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, self, you you may be asking yourself, what things happened? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Jesus has risen from the grave. But they don't know that, right? They have a report from some of the women that he's disappeared. They've seen some angels. Peter and John ran to the tomb. If you've read John's gospel, we all know John got there first, right? He's the triathlete of the two. He got there first. Uh, so it, all, they were talking about all these things that have happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I got a sermon right here that I'm not preaching today, but I just got pointed out. How many times has the Lord been close, but we did not have eyes to recognize him? Verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation, conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? In other words, Jesus says, what y'all talking about? What's up? What, what y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Are you the only guy that came to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration who hasn't heard the news? That's what he's saying. Because it was Passover time. All these people had come in from all over the place. He says, are you the only one who doesn't know? Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Isn't that funny, though? Jesus, I mean, this is Jesus. And he's like, what, what things? What's happened? Tell me. Do tell. What's happened? What's going on? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And if you will allow me, let me insert a thought into that, that they were thinking in the moment, but hope is gone. But 
my goodness, if they just knew who they were talking to, they would realize hope is right here. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, but they did not see him. They refer, he's referring to Peter and John. And he said to them, this is, this is Jesus talking. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should offer should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So, th so he went in to say with him, another mini-sermon right here, that when you offer Jesus an invitation into your life, he will never refuse it. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Father, as we open the scriptures today and we look at Moses and the prophets, God, help us to recognize that the birth of Jesus was not out of nowhere, but for at least a couple of thousand years, you had been laying out the breadcrumbs, showing us what was to come. I pray today, Father, that our faith would be built. I pray today, Father, that the Holy Spirit would move in freedom. That, Lord, as I preach, that you would help me to do so with all humility. God, that you would help me to do so with all transparency. And Lord, that you would help me to remember that I am nothing more than a conduit that is blessed to be able to serve. And, God, I pray that you will move and that we would be more conformed to the image of Jesus when we leave this place than when we walked in. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, praise the Lord with me this morning. Amen. Amen. I love that last sentence. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I want to tell you before I really get into the message that if you will get in this book, this book will get in you. And it will change you. It will transform you. It will, it will change the way you think. Now, I love this story. And 
and believe me, I do have a reason for starting at the end of the Gospel of Luke instead of the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. But I wanted us to see how Jesus is telling Cleopas and his traveling companion, whoever he is, uh, how he opened to them the scriptures. And we don't know what all Jesus talked about, but we do have the scriptures that Jesus was referring to, right? And, and he showed them and he, he pointed out to them that everything that they had seen about Jesus, everything that they had experienced of Jesus had already been prophesied, had already been referred to by Moses who wrote the first four books, five books, I can't remember, five books of the, of the Bible, all the way through the prophets the law and everything that Jesus is the central figure of the Old Testament. And, I, and this is, just as a pastoral side note to you today, as New Testament believers, it is easy for us to think that the Old Testament is irrelevant to us, but I would caution you to never approach any scripture with that mindset in mind, that you would understand that all scripture is God-breathed, that it is, that it is available to us for instruction, for correction, right? Amen? And so, so we're, we're looking at these uh, two men who are walking, and it's, it would be good for us to remember that we have been given the benefit of hindsight, right? We have been given the benefit of 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of theological discussions and dissertations, 2,000 years of Bible study. The Bible was compiled around 300 or 350 AD, so they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have one in their back pocket. They didn't have a one on their phone, right? They would go to the temple. They would go to their synagogue, and they would hear the scrolls read every Sabbath day, every Saturday day, right? Uh, but they didn't have one in their home, more than likely, unless they were incredibly wealthy people. And so, and this would be true for all of the followers of Jesus. And, and it's easy for us as we read the Bible, as specifically as we read the Gospels, to look at the actions or the words of someone like Peter, or someone like Judas even, or someone like John, or, or something that they did, or something that they said, and think to ourselves, come on guys, what's wrong with you? But it would do us well to remember, we know the whole story. Yeah. They didn't know it. They, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And, and we have that benefit of being able to look back in a way that they were never able to. And so they are experiencing this in the moment. They didn't have this luxury. The Messiah's coming, as I already said, it was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament over the course of a couple of thousand years at least. One of the first ones goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. God is speaking to the serpent actually and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, you might, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, you might, you might bruise his heel, but he's going to stomp your head in the ground basically. Come on, that's what Jesus, life house, listen. I need y'all to help me out now. You go to the book of Job. Job writes one of my favorite scriptures of all times. He says, for I know my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. I know my Redeemer lives. I got some Nicole C. What is it? Mullins in me? Yeah, uh, in my heart today. I won't sing it for you, though, so no worries there. If you were around the uh, late 90s, early 2000s of CCM music, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get a witness in the house? All right. All right. 
Deuteronomy, uh, this is Moses talking to the people. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. In other words, Moses is saying, and, and if you ask the Hebrew people, Moses would be their greatest prophet. Moses is saying, there's going to be one coming who's going to be greater than me. Someone that I'm even going to listen to. Someone that I need to glean from. He says in verse 18, I will uh, raise up, this is God saying, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my word in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. You know in your Old Testament there are at least 500 unique verses that concern the coming Messiah. 300 unique distinct prophecies that Jesus himself fulfilled. In other words, scripture after scripture after scripture points to Jesus's birth, his nature, his name, his ministry, his betrayal, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. And when Jesus is opening up the scriptures, the, the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets to Cleopas and his friend, that's what he's doing. He's showing them that, hey guys, all of this seems strange to you, but we've been talking about it literally since day one. We've been telling you it was coming. So this should not be a surprise to you. The entire Bible, specifically the entire Old Testament, is pointing to Jesus. I like the phrase, there is a scarlet thread woven all the way through Genesis to Revelation, and Jesus is the center of it. Now, perhaps the most prophetic book concerning Jesus and pointing to him as the Messiah is the book of Isaiah. And if you will, if you got your Bible, go ahead and just flip open to Isaiah chapter 7. I want to spend some time there. And we'll actually spend the entirety of our time in this series in the book of Isaiah unpacking different prophecies concerning who Jesus was to be and for us who Jesus is. That's where I'm going to camp out. Isaiah 7. Now, when we get to Isaiah 7, we need context. Now, a lot of what is recorded in Isaiah is also recorded in 2 Kings and the Chronicles. And you need to know that. I know for a lot of people, the Bible can be confusing because it is not in chronological order. And so Isaiah 7 correlates, or Isaiah as a whole, correlates a lot of what's happening in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And so when you, when you know the context of Isaiah 7, you know that there is a lot of turmoil happening in the land of Judah during this time. So you guys got your teaching ear or your, your receiving ears ready because I'm about to do some Bible teaching. Yeah. All right. So after Saul, everybody remember who Saul was? Not Saul who became Paul, but the first Saul, right? Yeah, Saul uh, the, the, uh, that we read about in 1 Samuel specifically. After Saul, then you had King David. David come, Yeah. And then after King David, we have King Solomon. All right, deal. So we got Saul, David, and Solomon. But shortly after Solomon's death, the Hebrew people split up into two separate kingdoms. You have a north kingdom and a southern kingdom. The north, northern kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of Israel. And the southern kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of Judah. Is it on the board? Okay, good. All right, I'm glad y'all knew that. That's what's up. That makes me so happy. Y'all learning the Bible. Yes. Um, and so Isaiah 7 discusses Israel and a, and a people, or land called Aram, conspiring to invade Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah. Wave at me if, you, if you're still at least mostly on board with what I'm saying. All right, deal. And so Ahaz, everybody say Ahaz. Ahaz. 
is the king of Judah. And he is terrified that the king and the people of Israel who, are, who have aligned themselves with the people of Aram is going to march south, invade uh, Judah, invade Jerusalem, kill him, and overtake his kingdom, all right? And so this is what uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2 says about Ahaz and the people of Judah. It says, when the house of David, and that's referring to the entire land of Judah at this time, was told... Syria is in league with Ephraim. That's, that's Israel is Ephraim, and then Syria is Aram. He says, when he's told this, the heart of Ahaz and his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. To me, I just can't help but, like, that's where they get the phrase, that's, you're shook, right? Yeah. Like, I saw that thing happen, and I was shook, Right? Right? Okay. In other words, Ahaz was? He was shook. He was scared. He was worried. And, and, and through Isaiah, God tells Ahaz, this is verse number four. He says, be careful. And maybe for some of you, you're, 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 you're shook right now. Maybe you're looking at some circumstances in your life and you're shook. You know, you're worried. You're scared. You're terrified. Maybe this is a word for you. Be careful. Maybe this is another word for many of you. Be quiet. You know why God tells people to be quiet all the time? This is good. This is just a side rabbit trail point right here. It's because the more we talk, the more we complain. The more we talk, the more we speak doubt. The more we talk, the more we speak fear. And God says, shut that up. I don't want to hear your doubt. I want to hear your complaints. I want to hear your fear. Listen, because the more I talk, I'll start saying negative things. But if I will listen to him speak, I will, I will hear life and truth. Right? right? Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. How many of you would love to hear the Lord speak that over you sometimes in the things in your life, right? Well, guess what? This book is for you, so just go read that and you'll hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Okay. I can see how it's going to be. In other words, what he's saying in verse 7, he says, The invasion that you're worried about, this thing that you were so afraid of happening... It is not even going to happen. How many of you in your life, you look back over your life and the things that kept you up at night, the things you were worried about, they wound up being things that didn't even happen, things that, were no, that you had no need to worry about, right? And so God in his generosity offers to give Ahaz a sign to reassure him. How many of you would love to get a sign from the Lord? That he is doing something on your behalf, right? Like God gives you a word, and then he says, and just so you know that I'm telling you the truth, here is this thing. You're going to hit every green light on the turnpike when you leave church today. Thus saith the Lord, right? Right. So when I first became a Christian, I was obsessed with getting a sign from God over like everything. And, and I had this strategy. I had this idea and, and, and when I tell you that I put a lot of faith in it, I mean I really put a lot of faith in it, I would, I would uh, get a quarter out. This is Josiah's Aldi quarter, so I can't lose it. So, but I would get a quarter out, and I would have a question that I wanted to pose to the Lord. And it was always an either-or question, right? Uh, for instance, a lot of times, a lot of times, my questions would be, God, is it a sin too? And then fill in the blank. Now, later in my life, I came to the understanding that if I usually had to ask, is it a sin too? Then the answer was, if you have to ask, yeah, it's a sin. 
that's normally kind of where that goes. And so what I would do is I'd be like, okay, God, is it a sin too? Please don't. Oh, Lord. Oh, I caught it. And then it wouldn't give me the answer I wanted because I wanted to do that thing. And so I was like, all right, best two out of three. Best 51 out of 100, okay? You know, and I would go on. I would, I, I would see this girl, and we would, we would go on a date, and I'd be like, all right, Lord, is she the one? Ah, I'll try, I don't know. That one didn't count, God. I fumbled it a little bit. You know, all these things I would do. Here, Josiah, here's your, here's your quarter in my pocket. Get it after church. Now, wouldn't that be so nice sometimes if we could just get such a direct answer that way, right? Maybe, maybe not. You guys don't really know how to answer that. Um, but I have learned that when God does give us a sign, first of all, how many of you have been following the Lord long enough to realize that he doesn't really give a lot of signs a lot of times, right? Yeah. Um, but when he does give us a sign, it usually does not come uh, when or how we expected it to come. It, it usually doesn't bow to our demands of, Lord, if you do this, then I'll know you mean this, right? Uh, and what's interesting about this is that God offers to give Ahaz a sign to reassure him that this, this calamity that he is worried about will not happen. Now, if God offered to give you a sign, if God offers to give me a sign, I'm going to take God up on the offer, mainly just because I want to see it. I just want to see what he does. I think that'd be interesting, right? And, and, and so what's incredible incredible here is that Ahaz actually says, no, I'm good. I don't need a sign. Now, if you don't know the context of the story, your first inclination might be to think that Ahaz is a very righteous man. He's a very holy man. He is so full of faith that he doesn't need a sign from God. But... If you, read, if you read your Bible, you know that's not the case. Ahaz was a wicked king. Ahaz was not a good man. Ahaz was a terrible leader. The reason why Ahaz declines getting a sign from God is because he's not worried about what God does or doesn't do. In other words, Ahaz doesn't trust the Lord. Ahaz already has a plan in mind. Ahaz is going to the Assyrians and he says, all right, guys, the Israel may be coming in to invade. So, so what we need to do is we need to team up and, and we'll fight against them and we'll stand against them. And what this does is it reveals Ahaz's heart. It reveals that he doesn't trust the Lord. He believes that he needs more than God can offer. Can I tell you, we've all been there too. We've all found ourselves in situations where God has told us to trust him, but instead we put our trust in something or someone else. Yeah. You know, for instance, the scriptures say that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But sometimes God's justice isn't fast enough or effective enough to satisfy my hurt feelings and my angry spirit. And so instead of letting the Lord deal with this person, I'm going to start planting some seeds of gossip around the church or around the workplace or around the school or wherever it may be. I'm going to start letting some things slip so people know what kind of person that they really are. 
I'm going to start talking and saying some things behind their back. I'm going to start undermining their choices and their decision. I'm going to start doing what I can do to make sure they get what they deserve one way or another. Because even though I should give it to the Lord, even though God says vengeance is mine, I don't believe he's working fast enough or good enough to justify what I believe needs to be done. God says to someone it's time to get out of this toxic relationship you're in. I mean, it could be a person. It could be a cell phone even. It could be a TV. I don't know what it could be, but you remind God that you can handle it. Maybe if it's a person, God says, you know, it's time to get out of this relationship. That's not the person I have for you. And, and, and God says, or you tell God, God, I can change them. We call that missionary dating. It doesn't work. Don't try it. Right? God says to someone, step out in faith and trust me. How many of you in the room today in the last two to three years have moved to this area from another state in our country? Raise your hand. Yeah. So come on. I applaud you sincerely because you have stepped out in faith. The Lord led you to make a change in your life and you stepped out in faith. But, but sometimes God tells us in other ways in our life to step out in faith. And, and instead of obeying, instead of trusting, instead of believing, we, we, we tell God, you know what? God, I've been doing a lot lately. I've gone through a lot lately. I've had this family situation happen. I've gone through this at my job. I'm dealing with this at my home. My marriage is going through this. God, I just want to take it easy for a while. God says, be generous with your finances. But you remind the Lord, God, I'm already barely making ends meet. Maybe he tells you to be generous with something else. There's really three areas of generosity the Lord calls us all to. That's our time, our talent, and our treasure. Maybe, maybe the Lord would tell you, hey, it is time to step up and serve at your church. Maybe your first inclination, instead of saying, yes, Lord, I'll go to lifehouse.info serve and sign up right now while the pastor's preaching. And by the way, if you're waiting on a sign from the Lord to tell you it's time to start serving at your church, here it is. Here's your sign. Got it for you right here. Lifehouse.info slash serve. But, but, you know, you might go back to the Lord and say, well, number one, they've got enough. Let me just tell you, no, we don't. Can I get an amen? All the leaders said amen. Everybody else said, I don't know. Right? You might even be telling God, God, I'm so busy already. I just want to go and I want to sit and I want everybody to do everything for me while I just sit there on my rear end, being a gospel glutton, giving nothing to nobody else but getting it all for myself. I'm just, y'all ain't talking to me today, so I'm going to preach real to you. All these things that God would tell us to do, that God has told us to do. Can I tell you right now, in all sincerity, you don't need the Lord to tell you to tithe. He's already done it. Right. You don't need the Lord to tell you to be generous. He's already done it. You don't even need the Lord to tell you to take a step of faith because as long as you're walking with Jesus, every step is a step of faith. If you find yourself in your life not living through seasons of, 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 of wondering what's going on, I just want to tell you from a place of love as well as experience, then you're not following Jesus. Because as long as you are following him, you will consistently find yourself in situations where you feel like you're in over your head. You're in over your head so much that all you can do is lift up your arms and surrender and say, God, if you don't do it, I can't do it.
do it. If you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. See, just like Ahaz, we've all made alliances with our own empires of excuses, preferences, doubts, and self-deception. And we think our way is better the entire time ignoring the God of the universe who created me, who knows me, who knows everything, who in his love and his generosity and in his grace has given me his word to lead and direct my life. But yet we still so often, can I be real with you? I sometimes often tell the Lord, I think I know more than you actually, God. Why do we do this? Because we're worried that God isn't enough. We're worried that God isn't trustworthy. We're worried that God isn't able. And we're worried that God isn't good. The other day, I was leaving town. By the way, who's so grateful for the road work happening in Oak Ridge lately? I have to come to the altar and repent over things I've thought about that. I was leaving town. I was going to Knoxville. And um, it was during the middle of the day, around lunchtime. And I don't know about you. I'm just weird about this. Even if I know where I'm going, if I'm driving, if I know I'm going to be in the car for more than 10 or 15 minutes, I still take my phone out and put the GPS whatever into wherever I'm going. I can know, I mean, like I'll be leaving here going to my house. It's three minutes away. And I don't know why I do it. And I don't always follow it. I just like to have it there. And um, so I was going to Knoxville. I was going out of town. And normally I would hit the turnpike. I would go, you know, this way. And then I would hit Illinois. And then I'd go through Pellissippi. And then I would be in the Turkey Creek area. And, and so I'm, I'm driving out of the parking lot. And I notice my GPS is telling me to take a right and go towards Clinton. And I'm thinking, that's weird. Why would it do that? Well, that's dumb. I'm not going to do that. So I turn left and I go this way and I I get to Illinois. I take my left on Illinois. I go down the road. And and then for 45 minutes, I had in traffic to contemplate why I should have listened to the GPS. (laughs) As I stood or as I I sat in traffic in my truck, uh, just waiting for people, like letting two cars go at a time while there was a billion cars on the road. How many people live in Oak Ridge now? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, I mean, this city is growing. Praise the Lord for that. We just need more roads, okay? That's all I'm saying. But, um, and I thought to myself, if I would have just listened to that, what that GPS told me, instead of doing what I was already in the habit of doing, instead of doing what was easy, instead of doing what was normal, instead of doing what was comfortable, because if it took me this way, and it wasn't taking me down Edgemore, it was taking me further, it was taking me into like Clinton to go to Turkey Creek. And, and, and if you're not from around here, you don't understand that. But raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. And so, like, in my mind, this makes no sense. Why would I do that? Well, I learned why I would have done that, right? How, you know where this parable is going, right? You know how this illustration fits. How many times is God trying to lead us in a direction and we say, Lord, why would I do that? I don't. But, but here's the problem. God sees what I can't see. He's higher, right? He's greater. He, his vision can, can comprehend more than I can comprehend. And so often in our life, the Lord is saying, if you will lay this down, or if you will pick this up, or if you will take that step of faith, or if you will just surrender this part of your life to me, you will see me work in ways you've never seen. You will see my provision. You will see my healing. You will see my restoration. You will see my redemption. But as long as we take whatever it is that God's asking, 
asking of us and we say, Lord, that doesn't make sense. I'm just going to do it my way instead. Then we will never see it. And so Ahaz makes this alliance with the Assyrians. The Assyrians are also known as the Babylonians who in just a few short years would actually invade the kingdom of Judah and take over Jerusalem, destroy the entire city of Jerusalem, and then export or rather deport back to Babylon men and women and all different types of people where the Israelites or the Judeans would spend 70 years in exile because Ahaz chose to do what made sense in his mind instead of being surrendered and submissive to the Lord. Now, you might be asking, actually, you probably should be asking, okay, that's great. But what does this have to do with Christmas? Isaiah says to Ahaz, he says, okay, if you're not going to listen to the Lord, if you're not going to to be surrendered and submissive to what the Lord wants to do, I'll just talk to everyone. And in verse 13, he says, I'm just going to talk to the whole house of David. I'm going to talk to all of God's people. And this is what he says. And this scripture might be familiar. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, he's not talking to Ahaz. He's talking to the people of God right now. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so what happens is God, through Isaiah's prophecy, is highlighting his power to do the miraculous, to, to accomplish the impossible, even if it means using illogical means and insignificant people to do so. In other words, what, what, what is happening here is Isaiah, well, the Lord through Isaiah is saying is if God can cause a virgin to have a baby, he can deliver a nation. Right, And for you today, if, if, if Mary can have Jesus, who the only reason she did is because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, then I want you to hear, my, not my words, but the words of the Lord, that, that if he can do that, if he can raise the dead, that he can provide for you and your family, that, that he can heal your body. You may have prayed a hundred times before today, but I want to encourage you today to pray again. Maybe, maybe today you walked in suffering from depression, that the Lord can deliver you today from from depression. He can, he can free you from anxiety. He can save your lost loved one. He can restore your marriage. He can redeem your family. He can do anything exceedingly, abundantly above anything we could ever think, ask, or imagine because he is the God of the impossible. He is the God of the miraculous. And so when Jesus is talking to these two on the road, he's painting this picture and saying all the way from Genesis, all the way through to right now, no, at no point has God been saying to himself, I don't know what we're going to do. Right. He's got a plan. Galatians 4, 4, Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin. In the fullness of time. In other words, when everything was just right, God said, let's do it. Right? Let's go. Let's do it. And if he can do all of these things, whatever you're facing today, he can do that too. It, it could be something huge. He can heal cancer. But you know what? He can also heal a headache. If, 
I've been guilty of this. Maybe you have been as well. I've sometimes, I'll be going through something, dealing with something or see something, and, and I'll begin to pray, Lord, that you would do this. And then it hits me. Oh, that's, why would I pray about that? That's so small. I shouldn't bother the Lord. That's like one of my kids coming in asking me to get them a cup down so they can get some water. And me saying to them, why would you bother me? You were so small and insignificant. I'm here on the couch minding my own business. Why would you bother me with your problems? Right? I don't do that. I mean, I actually might say that, but then I would be like, I'm just kidding. And then I'd go get him a cup down, right? But that's how we think the Lord is to us sometimes. We think the Lord oftentimes is sitting on his throne and he's, you know, making the universe work, making the earth rotate, making the galaxy function. And, you know, when we go to him with our problems, most of the times the small ones, but even the big ones, we think, okay, God, I'm really sorry to bother you today. I know you got a lot on your plate. That's not the Lord. That's not who he is. I love what Jesus says. He says, if you fathers, being sinful, you're, you're not perfect. You want to do good things for your kids. That if they ask for some bread, you don't give them a snake. That'd be a really dirty trick, right? If they, if they ask for, you know, some water or something to eat, you don't, you don't give them something that's going to hurt them. Or... No, 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 you do that. He says, if you being sinful want to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven want to give good gifts to you? He's a good Father. 400 years later, ish, after Mary tells Joseph the it's complicated news, right? Joseph decides, you know what, I'm going to break off this engagement. And like, can we just think about this for a moment? Who can blame him? Joseph, um, just FYI, this isn't from Little Debbie's. I'm pregnant. Right? Joseph says, well, I know I didn't do it. Who's the father? God. Now, I know I'm making light of it, but, but we, we know the story, so it's not funny or amazing to us because we've read it, heard it so many times, all the way from Charlie Brown Christmas to reading the nativity story, right? But this is an amazing moment. This is crazy. And Joseph says, you know what? I'm not going to shame you publicly because obviously you've lost your mind. I mean, come on, let's think about this. You're obviously messed up, right? So instead of shaming you publicly and divorce, I'm just, we're just going to break this thing off. We won't tell a lot of people. We'll make it real quiet. You go your way. I'll go my way. And Joseph goes to bed. And this is what Matthew records in his gospel. Matthew 1, verse 20, Joseph, son of David. This is an angel coming to Joseph in his dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is, which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, Mary wasn't lying after all. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means salvation. For he will save people from their sins. Now, Matthew, who is recording this moment... That's where the, the angel stops talking. And so Matthew kind of picks up right here, offering some commentary to help us understand as the Holy Spirit leads him. And so in verse 22, he says, all this, say all this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, for the Jewish people, they know what Emmanuel means. But Matthew understands that not everybody knows what this name means. So he puts a little, little asterisk there and he says, here's a note to you in case you don't know what that means. It means God with us. Many years ago, a man named Mark Lowry wrote a song called Mary Did You Know? And it's one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs. And we're going to sing it right now. And there's the one line in it that just stands above all the others to me. It says, this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Lifehouse family, I don't know what you are facing today. But there is a God who saves and who is with us even now. That whatever trial, trouble, hardship, heartache that you are facing. I'm not saying that everything will all of a sudden go away. But I'm saying he will get right in the middle of the mess with you. And he will bring deliverance for you. So as they sing, can we worship as well?
just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. When Isaiah prophesied these words, I'm not really sure that he even knew what he was saying. Chances are he probably didn't. That prophecy was given in a time in the history of God's people where hope really just didn't even exist. They were approaching destruction uh, invasion, exile was in their future. And 400 plus years later, when Jesus shows up on the scene and we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 7 occur in Matthew chapter 1, it too was a time where hope was slim. The people were occupied by a Roman government. They were struggling to just make ends meet because of their occupation and their taxation. And they were looking for a Messiah to come and kick out the Romans and take over and restore the throne of David. And so when they look at Jesus, born of a virgin, for them, for the most part, they, he was not the guy. He was not the one. And the reason why is because he had so much more in mind. He wasn't looking for a throne in Jerusalem. Rather, he was looking for a throne in the hearts of his people. And, and, and today, you are standing here and you may be in a season or a situation where hope for you is also slim. And I just want to encourage you today that his name is Jesus, which means salvation. His name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In other words, for you today, if you will allow him to sit on the throne of your heart, that salvation is here for you today, that hope is here for you today today and so if you are in this place this afternoon and you need hope right where you stand would you just lift your hand up real high in the air so I can pray with you right where you are I see you I see you all over the room now 